Hey, welcome back to episode number 111. Or is it 110 and a half? I don't know. You decide. But you can find the show notes at homesteadsandhomeschools.com slash 111 because that's what I'm going to call it, episode 111. And it is with our guest from last week, Jacob of Tasting Anarchy, of California in Exile, of Childerberg, of any other number of things. But uh, he's back today to finish up that that episode we started the other day, and uh, I think you guys will enjoy it a bit longer and uh, really kind of dug into some of some of the community side of things. How do we sort of develop community? How do we we grow it? How do we create it? And um, I think it's interesting. I think it's very interesting. I think it's something you guys should all pay attention to. And if you find it intriguing, go check him out at uh, the California in Exile podcast, which I will link to in the show notes. So I do do a little housekeeping in the beginning here. Uh, go over to, to patreon.com slash Hippie. Sign yourself up there. Uh, go leave a review on iTunes because that's always fun to do. Tell me what your favorite flavored pickle is. And uh, I don't know. I'll send you something. Seeds. Just let me know. It'd be funny. It'd be really funny. Um, at least I would find it amusing. What else have I got for you? Uh, I've been I've been putting up some videos on Odyssey, and I've been posting that link in the show notes as well. That is on the the library platform there, and uh, a little different than YouTube. You know, same idea, but um, much more decentralized, free speechy. Uh, you know, doesn't they're they're not going to censor you for for posting things. Um, and not that anyone would would censor anything I post, but uh, you know, it's the the principle that matters. So that's all for right now. Let's go plant those liberty seeds again with my guest, Mr. Jacob Lindsay. Happy with no teeth. Happy here in hibernation. Slurping on a peach. Staring at the situation. Key at my foot. Meowing out a conversation. Rocking back and forth. That's my only destination. Oh man on the back porch. Oh man on the back porch. Oh man on the back porch. And that old man is me. Oh man on the back porch. Oh man on the back porch. Oh man on the back porch. And that Russian collusion. So it's in Russian. I, I figured it was, but I, you know, I, I didn't, <laughs> yeah. didn't want to sound too uneducated. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's three as according to my wife, who's Ukrainian. So, um, and it's, uh, yeah, this year the theme is Russian collusion. Um, the theme doesn't go anywhere beyond me saying it. <laughs> but but we are going, but we're going to have, uh, like last year it was daddy time was the theme, but there, that was it. Like there was nothing beyond that. <laughs> and then the first year was, um, the theme was uh, Childerberg not a cult. And uh, so this year though, we've uh, it's going to be, you know, what it should have been last year except for COVID. So uh, last year before the whole COVID thing, I had it all planned out. It was going to be um, much closer to Austin, although we liked the venue. So we're going to actually do it at the venue we did last year again, um, which is about 45 minutes outside of Austin, uh, about uh, west, 45, 50 minutes west of Austin um, at Mule Shoe Bend Recreational Area. Uh, the park is awesome. And it's um, May 29th through 31st. It's a... Uh, is that labor? What weekend is that? That's a, it's a holiday weekend. I can't remember which holiday, but uh, it's a it's a three day weekend for most people. M- Memorial Day? Or is that, might, be, uh, might be Memorial Day. It's Memorial it's a three day weekend for I normies. I work from home, so I always forget which uh, which days are holidays and which ones are not. Um, 
But uh, yeah, so it's a it, uh, Milshoe Bend recreational area. We've got um, tentatively, so I don't necessarily want to announce it yet. Uh, I'm in communication finally with somebody who can tell me yes to have a stage at a local establishment. And uh, very cool. And he's agreed to it. So I'll announce this is uh, Robbie the Fire Bernstein of Part of the Problem fame is going to come do some comedy. And uh, Owen Glass, which is a uh, libertarian band here uh, in in Dallas, uh, they're going to come and do a set as well. And possibly nice. my uncle Paul, Paul Mars Black, um, of 1980s hair metal fame, is going to come and do a come and do a set. Maybe um, he says he's going to. We'll see. He's he's uh, much more California, Southern Californian than I am. He's uh, a true believer in COVID. So we'll see what. We'll see what what happens with that. He agreed to it a while ago, and I messaged him recently, and he said he's like, "Oh yeah, I'd love to," um, but then he had a bunch of questions about like my COVID precautions, and I was like, "You know, I don't really believe in any of that." <laughs> and, he, and he was like, "Oh, that's right." <laughs> and uh, so he'll. And then um, we also have a local comedian. His name is Brian Breckenridge. Uh, he opened at the local hyenas for um uh the dude who got fired from snl um i went and saw him and he was really good shane gillis um yeah so he had that big controversy where they fired him for being racially insensitive or something like that and uh before he was he was hired before he appeared on a single episode they fired him yes i remember that now Mm. yeah yeah and uh he came he came locally and he was really funny but one of the guys that opened for him that was the local opening act was also really funny and was a Ron Paul guy. So I was like, oh, this is perfect. So I, after the show, I went and asked him to come and perform at Childerberg. And he was like, I would love that. He's like, I've got I've got like a have got like a whole hour of libertarian and, <laughs> and conspiracy jokes, but nobody else gets them. So I was like, that'll be perfect. That's yeah, so, very cool, man. Yeah, we're gonna have so it's gonna be that, and then it's gonna be the same the same fun we always do at Childerberg. Um, it's next to the lake, so you, you can go and just jump in the lake because it I mean it is Texas, so by that time it's gonna be like a hundred degrees. So when you're hot, go jump in the lake, and then the rest is just like sitting around sharing food, sharing booze. Uh, if you're not a booze drinker, sharing you know whatever other drinks are there. Uh, we do kind of you know um, really food sharing a lot. Uh, you know people bring stuff. Uh, you know, you're responsible for your own food. So if there's not enough to go around, then that's on you. <laughs> but uh, usually people bring a little bit of extra and are, are happy to share. Uh, we had like a big last day cook where everybody had just a little bit left. So we all just kind of like brought, it was, you know, leftover hamburgers, leftover hot dogs, eggs, bacon, like uh, people had like parts of onions still left, parts of peppers and just kind of put it all on the griddle and cooked it up together and just, you know, the last you know twenty people or so that were there, we cooked it up. Uh, this year should be uh, a lot bigger. I mean, I had I had almost a hundred people signed up to go last year, and then COVID happened, and everything was canceled. So, and it, it, I was I, we were actually canceled because our original location told us we couldn't come, and so I had two backups. Uh, I'm I'm a planner, so I always have backups <laughs> for things, and so we went. To, so I was like, okay, no problem. It's canceled at at this location. I called up the other one. They were like, oh, well, we're actually the same park system as that one. So when they're closed, we're closed. I was like, oh, this is poor planning on my part. My, <laughs> I, uh, my third backup was private. Uh, it was a private RV park, and I called them up, and they went, oh no, no, we we don't we we have no idea what's going on with this COVID stuff. So this is kind of close to the beginning. This was um, same time last year. And, uh, 
they were like, we don't know what the liability is or anything like that. We're not going to do it. And so I was just called and called and called and called to find a place. And finally, uh, this park, uh, Muleshoe Bend Recreational Area, which is um, owned by the Lower Colorado River Authority, which is, I think, federal. I, I don't know for sure, but um, they were like, yeah, we're not closing. We don't care. And uh, <laughs> and when we got there, there was like signs up everywhere about masks and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, I'm worried. And like the lady who runs it, because, you know, it's like usually like a retired couple. They live in an RV or something and they run it. Uh I got there early and I went and, you know, pulled up and I was like, Hey, you know, are there any like restrictions? She's like, eh, just be polite and quiet and don't bug us and do whatever you want. <laughs> and, nice. uh, so that's, that's basically what it was. And I uh, just had a good time. We, I think we had close to 40 people raised uh, a couple, couple hundred bucks for freeross.org. That's our, that's our kind of, uh, main focus is to raise some money for free Ross and, um, just had a good time. You know, it, I think it's, it's really important for, internet people, especially internet, like freedom people, you know, you don't have to be specifically a libertarian or an anarchist or whatever you want to call yourself. Just, uh, I think it's really good for people to get offline sometimes and see each other in person. And it's, it's really, really cool to see people who maybe know each other online a little bit, but it just clicks as soon as they get to the place They're they're all friends. They're all, uh, you know, talking politics or not even talking politics. Sometimes, sometimes it's just, you know, uh, talking recipes, talking, uh, I mean like weird stuff. And, um, you know, everybody's got their own kind of their own craft. Uh, you said you had Agora on Agora came last time, um, big hit. Uh, we also had some other people who made some mead, uh, brought down a stateless cook. I don't know if uh, you know him, yeah. he's up in North Dakota. Yeah. yeah. I had him on a while ago too. Yeah. He's great. And he, he made a mead. He's also great cook. Um, lot just, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's just people, you know, it's, it's really, I'm trying to think of the best way to put it, but it's, you know, we all have our own filter because it's like, if, if you don't believe in the state and you go out somewhere and something like mm-hmm. something very benign comes up and people are are talking about it and you're like, you're both retarded, like in your head. And then they're like, what do you think? And you're like, well, I don't believe in the government at all. Mm-hmm. Like it's weird. It's, it's yeah. a weird thing because it's like, okay, let's try to unpack this. I mean, like I'm yeah. still trying to unpack this for my family. And like, yeah. I've been, yeah. an, I've been an anarchist for, you know, 13, 14 years. And, uh, so it's like, it's a weird thing to kind of try to unpack. Um, especially if you don't know the people very well. And so there, there's, I think there's some degree of like discomfort just in, in regular, like regular everyday society. And so it's kind of nice to sort of just be around your own people, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot to that. Just like people that are, are accepting of, of like whatever your, your belief system may be. Right. And, um, like you said, right. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to have a label. It doesn't have to have a a name. Right. It's just this sort of idea that like, you know, personal autonomy, you know, um, it's just kind of there and it's, uh, I, I appreciate that. Um, that's great. I mean, it, it is, it's extremely, other than like doing the organizing part, which is a little bit stressful uh, up until the point that people arrive for me. Cause like, as it leads up, I'm always like, Oh, what could go wrong? And like, did I plan mm-hmm. for this? Did I plan for that? And then once like it starts happening, it's just, it's, it's awesome. It's just super relaxing. Everybody's super cool. Like we just, we've never had like, well, we've only had two years of it, but like just people get along so well, so quickly. It's um, it's awesome. And like, you know, and everybody's, pretty good natured. You know, we do, we do razz each other a little bit. We had, um, uh, uh, 
crowdfunded government. Are you familiar with him? From up, he's up in Chicago. He came down for both of them. Uh, and we joke, we know we joked about him being a minarchist and stuff like that. Uh, but there's there's lots of minarchists that come to it's 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 just generally liberty oriented and uh, just great sport, just uh, tons of fun, really fun to be around. He's he was there. Uh, of course, Car Campit is a co founder. He doesn't really do much <laughs> of the organizing, but he uh, but he did come up with the idea originally in a drunken stupor that he doesn't fully recall. But uh, but he did come up with it and I ran with it and, uh, but he comes, he's a lot of, he's just a lot of fun. We do some, you know, yard sports. Uh, you know, uh, I bought, I, uh, brought bocce ball and volleyball last time. We didn't actually get to play volleyball, but we did play bocce for a little while. Um, I also have jazz mitten, which is badminton, but with light up balls instead of, uh, or light up okay. shuttlecocks instead of regular shuttlecocks. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So yeah, just a lot of fun. People bring also people just bring interesting things. So yeah, uh, I imagine you know, uh, cotton Argus brought uh, a pretty cool, he brought a tinfoil cowboy hat, uh, which was fun. And uh, you know, just, just, it's just, it's just fun. A lot of, a lot of internet jokes, but jokes that are inclusive. Like people get them. They're funny and really just a cool group of people. Just a lot of fun. That sounds, sounds like a good time. Um, really does. Uh, now, and, and, your your new pod, uh, your new pod. I guess it's yeah, it's new. Yeah, it's new. I'd, I'd call it new. It's um. <laughs> well, and, and it's it's new because I also don't put out episodes very often. All right, so I'm interrupting the show today. It's got to be important. Trust me, it is. I'm up here every week speaking freely, encouraging you all to espresso yourself, having mind changing conversations, planting little rebellion seeds that will grow to giant pumpkins of persuasion. Why? Why? Why am I up here? Because I love to run my mouth. Because I believe in free, uncensored speech. That's why. Because without the innate right to speak my mind and gather at will, the ability to communicate and exchange ideas disappears. And I can't think of a better way to exchange these ideas than over a delicious cup of coffee with the people that matter most. So together with John Odermatt over at Finding Freedom, we've teamed up to create Run Your Mouth Coffee to bring you the tantalizing coffee you need to get the uncensored speech flowing. Check us out at rymcoffee.com and use promo code homestead to get 10% off your first order. That's rymcoffee.com promo code homestead. So that, that, um, California in exile, I've listened to the last couple episodes here. You're kind of talking about, about community. I'm curious, like, just, you know, how do you, cause I'm, I'm always, I'm, I'm constantly on that struggle to try to find and build community in, in, you know, my local vicinity, right? Like I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I don't want to say stuck, but like the, the prospects of me moving beyond five, 10 minutes is exceptionally low, right? It's not going to happen. Um, but you know, you guys were talking about, um, kind of almost, I don't want to say expanding Childerberg, but kind of taking this idea of, of Childerberg and extending it into, um, something else. Um, I just kind of, curious where where you are on that like what um so there's yeah we're so, thoughts on yeah, building. it's it's um it's going to happen so we so my wife and i are very mostly my wife is very good at um encouraging me to do stuff and making them happen um so uh she set a date for um and i'm hoping i'm getting this right uh she's <laughs> so she might be but it's um I think it's 07-27-2027. That's the, she, she might be able to correct me. That's right. that, no, she says that's right. Yes. 
Uh, so that's that's the goal date, and the that is our date for her and me moving out to the Childerberg Town property. You know what what other people are doing. That's going to be up to them. The model that it, I want to use is a, and we're still kind of working this out a lot. It's a lot of research, a lot of and a lot of just money, you know, money gathering and stuff like that. Um, it we're at like a weird point in U.S. history where. This is sort of something that I, my old roommate, Nate Classic, and I, we um, we used to talk about this all the time when we were roommates. Like, oh, it would be great if we had like a town of people who were chill and uh, not like lame. <laughs> and uh, and it, it always came from like just having to deal, you know, we live in Virginia Beach. It's a, it's a pretty heavy cop town and the cops are not. Um, Friendly. They're friendly. They're they're just like dicks. Like so. Like I I had an aquaponic system in my garage when we lived out there, and I would open the the door so that I could get some breeze to go through. So that because you know in the garage it, you know it it gets stuffy and stuff. And I the I had cops come over there like four or five times, being like, "Are you growing marijuana?" I'm like, "No, like clearly not." Why would I open the garage door? I'm like, growing marijuana in my garage, opening the garage door for everybody to see. Guys, come check it out. Yeah. Like I it's like it's this is okra, these are peppers, this is strawberries, and in these tanks are 64 tilapia. So like <laughs> you can see it. Do you have a permit? Do you have a permit for that? Actually, I do. <laughs> so uh because I you you have to get a permit for tilapia in Virginia. But um yeah, which is which is weird, <laughs> but uh, but they do willingly grant it. So, uh, anyways, uh, so we used to talk about this all the time, where we we're like, this would be really great if it could. It doesn't has to be permanent for everybody. It could be like vacation property, or it can be um, just uh, uh, one of the things he always talked about was like uh, like a school kind of like where you can go out and learn certain things like aquaponics. Like I could teach basics of aquaponics. Like I did it. I did it for several years. I raised fish to maturity and ate them. Um, I could, I can, I can do basic. I built the whole system and designed it myself. So uh, I can do some of the basics of that. I could, and uh, he had like, he was more of like a hippie. So he, he could, he would be like, I'm going to teach Reiki or like, uh, like, uh, you know, spirit something. I don't know. He's kind of a hippie guy, but uh, nice guy. Also, really, really great roommate. And so we used to talk about this all the time. And so, like, this is something I've kind of mulled around in my head for a while. And then when I got married to my wife, um, you know, we really liked Childeberg, and and we were driving back. I think uh, the first time, or maybe it was maybe we were driving back the second time. I don't remember. We were driving at some point, and she's like, "Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Like, I, I wish we just didn't have to like live around people where we had to deal with like a lot of bullshit." Like we could live around like the Childerberg people because they're really cool and stuff. And I was like, well, yeah, why don't we just start a town? And she's like, you can do that? And I was like, I don't know. I think so. I don't know. Let's look it up. Let's find out. <laughs> so it turns out in, in American history, there's a lot of this. Like a, there's a lot of people. And, you know, I think we're taught, and that maybe this goes back to the homeschool aspect. I think we're taught in public school a lot that building your own community is utopian. It never works out. Um, you know, uh, they, it doesn't, it doesn't work for all these various reasons or whatever, but I I started looking into it a lot and there are actually several pretty old towns that are intentional towns. And, um, the the one that I like their model, the best so far is in North Carolina, there's a town called Silo. Um, and so one of the reasons I like it, and I had known actually about this town, I didn't realize this how it is, how it started though. I, I knew about it because it's a Quaker town. And, and I'm Quaker. So, um, 
I just knew it existed. I didn't realize that it was its its whole structure and stuff like that. So uh, CeeLo is a corporation uh, that was founded in, I think, 19, either 1927 or 1937. Uh, and it... Um, the guy who bought it, he bought the land, he incorporated the property, and you don't actually buy your plot of land, you lease it from the corporation. And it's a lifetime transferable lease. So you effectively own it, you can do whatever you want on the property. And there's, um, the reason they did this is because uh, being incorporated offers certain tax advantages and certain uh, protections from local and state government. Uh, and federal government to some degree. So you do get, so you kind of get the both, both, uh, the best of both worlds. You get um, the leaseholder and the property owner's kind of protection because you own the lease. And you also get some of the corporate protection and tax advantages of a uh, corporation. So, um, so they have that structure. And uh, what's nice about it is that you do effectively own it because you can put it in your will. You can transfer the lease to your descendants. Um, and it's a one-time payment. Uh, it also has a buyout clause, so that so you actually are not allowed to just sell it to somebody else. You have to sell it to back to the corporation, uh, uh, or or the corporation can agree for you to sell it to somebody else. So this this kind of gives a, a great deal of control about who comes in to the community. So that and this is one of the concerns that you know we when we were sitting around the fire at Childerberg Dose, um, you know, discussing what we would want to do for. I guess we did come up with this idea after Childerberg one, because we were talking about it at Childerberg dose. So um, we were thinking about like, how do we not be the Waco people, the branch Davidians? How do we, <laughs> how do we make this like, how do we integrate ourselves into the community to some degree, but also make it so that a bunch of commies don't move in and change the community that we, that we put all of our resources into building and stuff like that. And I think CeeLo's model um, has proven for the last almost hundred years that their model works. They can do it. This is it's corporation. It every and because it's Quaker. So one of the things that's kind of quirky about Quakers compared to a lot of the other um, sort of Protestant branches, I guess, is uh, everything is done on unanimous consent in a Quaker uh, meeting or that's uh, their church is a meeting. Um, so if one person in the community says, "I don't like this guy. I don't want to. I don't want to let him in." Uh, then that guy just doesn't come in. He's got to spend more time in the rental property or whatever, trying to win that guy over, I guess. Right. <laughs> uh, so like it's, it's, so that's kind of how it works. I mean, when I was at the, the meeting that I was part of when we lived in Virginia beach, it took almost a year of discussion for them to decide about putting an air conditioner into the meeting. Cause it, I mean, this was, it's a, this meeting had been there since the 1800s. And we had people that were over a hundred years old in the meeting who had been in the meeting their entire life. And they were like, I don't really see any need for an air conditioner. We can just give that money to the homeless. And uh, cause there's a pretty big homeless commit community at the beach in Virginia beach. And um, that's what they always wanted to spend the money on. They were like, well, no, let's just, let's help out the homeless. And, um, and there were some kind of younger people and by younger, I, the average age was about 90. So like by younger, <laughs> I mean like the 70 year olds were like, I want an air conditioner. <laughs> And so what this model kind of uh, encourages people to do is if you can't get community consensus on something, it encourages for you to do it on your own, to get permission to do it on your own. So what ended up happening was with the air conditioner was it wasn't going anywhere for about a year. And so one of the guys finally was like, fine, I will buy and pay for the air conditioner to be installed if you just give me permission. And and there, everybody was like, okay, yeah, that's fine. We just, we don't want to spend meeting money on it. We want to spend meeting money on charity. Um, and so that's what ended up happening. And that always happened with things like, uh, cleaning up the grounds and 
uh, a lot of that stuff is that it would go in a meeting, they would talk about hiring somebody, and it would usually end up with somebody going, I'll pay for it or I'll do it. Um, so it really encourages a lot of like personal responsibility, I think. And so in a in a town setting, um, that would encourage instead of people being like, okay, well, we're going to raise taxes in order to build this park or whatever. If somebody really wants a park, then they'll go like, you know what? I'm going to use a corner of my my leased property and I'm going to build a park. Will you at least uh, approve a uh, improvement clause on my lease? So that's one of the other things that CeeLo does is that um, if you do an improvement to your property and the community approves that it is an improvement, that is added to your buyout price. Okay. So that you don't lose, like if it's a permanent value, thing, yeah. Yeah, you don't lose the value. So if, if you're like, you know, I, I have this house here and I want to put on these solar panels and this, these solar panels will depreciate X amount over 10 years or whatever. I'd like to be approved to add that into my buyout, um, depreciated over 10 years or whatever. And uh, then the community could go, no, that is an improvement because if we buy you out, we can sell that and add that to the price. And that's something that's logical. But if you're like, I want to put a big, you know, giant, you know, I want to put a big statue of Bigfoot, like this guy here on my property. People, and they're like, I want to add that, you know, $10,000 to my property yeah. value. People would be like, well, it's cool. We like it, but it's not really yeah, valuable. <laughs> so, nah. <laughs> so like, take, it, take it with you. So this is kind of the working idea that I've got. There's, I've had, what's, it's funny too, like I was saying is that we're at this like weird time, especially I think in the COVID year, um, people kind of went, I can't trust my city, my town, my state to allow me to make a living, to allow me to live a semi-normal life, to allow me to prosper as like a human being. Um, and I need to be around people I can trust. I think that's kind of been the theme of this year is I think low trust has been the theme of this year, but I think that people's realization of needing to be in an area where they can trust their neighbors has been highlighted to like the plasma degree. Like it's like, it's very bright at this point that you need to be around people you can trust. And, um, and in, unfortunately in the modern, uh, modern America, whether it's, you know, romantic thinking or not, I remember when I was a kid, I grew up in a small town pretty much we could trust anybody. I could go knock on any door and ask for help and they would help me. Um, I, I, when we moved into this neighborhood, uh, I like my neighbors, um, but I went and tried to introduce myself to a bunch of them and they just not interested. Uh, you know, they got their own lives and they're, and that's fine. And they're just kind of isolated in their homes away from the rest of them. I talked to actually, there's an older guy who lives down the street and he is like the neighbor. Cause it came up when we were talking. He's like, I don't know what happened in the neighborhood. It used to be, you know, when I, and he's in his eighties now, but he had, he's had the house for 50 years. And, um, he's like, when I had kids, we had block parties, you know, the kids would go out, they'd go to each other's houses and, yeah. um, and play. And like, I, I knew my neighbors, if like I was doing yard work, somebody would come over and go, Hey, do you need some help? And, you know, they'd help out for a little while. Or, uh, if, you know, we knew that there were widows in the neighborhood, we would go help out the widows and stuff like that. And he's like, I don't know what happened. It's just, nobody talks to each other anymore. Nobody's out in their yard anymore. All of the property is pretty much maintained by crews of Mexicans, basically that, you know, migrant work when I, I don't know if they're migrant workers, but just a, a, a big truck with a whole bunch of Mexican guys will show, show up at the start of the street and they will just take care of almost all of the yards in the neighborhood in one day. Nobody's out in their front yard taking care of it anymore. So you don't see each other anymore. 
Right. Um, everybody's in their backyard. It's, it's, it's weird. It's a weird world that we live in. And I think there's, I, I think that this year is just kind of like, I love my neighborhood. I, I like, I like it aesthetically. I like, I like being in a neighborhood. And that's another thing that's kind of uh, going through this process of thinking about Childeberg town is like, I've realized I'm a townie. Like, I don't think I'm, <laughs> I don't think I'm meant to be like out in the way, way, way wilderness. I think I'm meant to be in the suburbs. Like I like it. It feels good. And, and you know what? Suburbs are designed to be very comfortable. They're, they're designed to mimic, uh, I mean, all of the the commercialization of the United States after World War II was this, this outstanding research and development in what makes people comfortable. I mean, even down to like the way that the front of your house is designed is purposely designed to look like an inviting face. Like it's, it's <laughs> supposed to make you see a smile, like door, most doors, it's the door and two windows. And it's supposed to be eyes looking in and, and smiling kind of, or, or being at least welcoming the front of a car, the headlights, mm-hmm. and usually they curve up. It looks like a smile. Like all of this stuff is whether, I, I mean, it, it's, there's books about it. So clearly it's intentional, but um, all of this marketing was done to make people very comfortable. And, and I think that can be applied in a different way. And that is to make people comfortable and independent. I think that's kind of uh part of the problem with the post-World War II expansion of the suburbs of the United States is that it was subsidized and not designed to encourage uh, health and community and all that sort of stuff. I think that we can kind of, we can, I, I don't, like I'm saying, I, this is not going to be like a micromanaged community, but I think that communities that are designed organically and not micromanaged tend to develop closer relationships and maximize happiness rather than isolation and separation. Um, you know, it sounds kind of commie-ish, I guess, but it's like, I think that that's what people, are, people are supposed to live in their tribe. They're supposed to be community. They're supposed to be communal to some degree. They're supposed to be helping each other. And and I think that that's what is going to end up forming. But the ultimate goal is, this will be my last point on this. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate goal is uh, there was this project that I used to follow and they're still around called uh, Open Source Ecology. And um their goal was to, this is how old it is. It was, their goal was to make everything that you need to start a civilization on a CD. So it had designs to build CNC machines, designs to make aluminum extractors so that you could extract aluminum from the soil to build the CNC machine, uh, brick presses, uh, how to make an, a modular engine so that you could move it from tractor to tractor or different types of equipment. So everything on it was modular so that all the parts could be interchanged and all that sort of stuff. So it was designed to how you would start up a town if you had almost nothing or like a, a, a village. And um, my idea is something similar, but it's going to be more of like a, a legal, a legal technical thing is it'll be like open source Childerberg town. So it's like, this is what worked. These are the legal struggles that we had. These are the structural struggles that we had building this. This is what worked for us. Tweak it and do, do what you want with it, but it's open source. It's like these, I, it's very detailed how everything achieved, how everything was achieved, what went right, what went wrong. And it turns out there's other people working on this, these very similar things and are a little bit further along than I am. So I'm going to be relying on reading their resources the, the legality in Texas is a little bit different than other states, but uh, Texas, we were originally thinking about doing it in New Mexico, but Texas actually has uh, laws that are uh, specifically designed for this. Nice. Um, they're called like freedom, freedom towns or freedom zones or something like that. Um, so I think it's going to be good here in Texas. Plus I like the, we, my wife and I've done a lot of driving around during COVID to like different places. And 
I just feel good here um, in Texas, like the, with a lot of the, the way that people react to masks and things like that. So that's kind of the ultimate goal <laughs> is to make it replicatable. And uh, I wouldn't say proof of concept because it's going, I, I think it's going to be like the hundred year project. It's going like in a hundred years, I'll probably, my guess is I'll still be alive or at least I expect to be. <laughs> uh, I'm one of those people who thinks I'm probably going to live into my two hundreds, but um it's, I think it's going to be around. I, ex, I fully expect to still live there and uh, be in this, in, you know, a little suburban, actually not even suburban, but just like a little, a small town. I, and also, I, okay. Last, last thing. Uh, I think that, I think because of everything that's happened as a result of, of COVID, I think that we're going to go back to small towns. Uh, that's, that's another thing. I think that's what we're going to be returning to. So that's Yeah. That's yeah. No, I, I think in, um, yeah, you're you're talking about um, not not micromanaging, right? And I, I think when you think about think about your garden, right? Think about your your I can I can grow my my plants in rows and and weed it and do everything I want if I and, and I can get something out of it. But if I go and I, I build a food forest, um, I have to do a lot less, and I can still get food out of it. I can still and I don't have to dump chemicals on it, and I don't have to do all this stuff to it. And you know, it's kind of like yeah, you, you have an HOA, you could go join an HOA, but again, it's this like micromanaged thing and like you get something out of it. But when you let things sort of not necessarily develop on their own, but kind of, you know, build with on them, on themselves. Um, I know, I think you get something a little, little more sustainable. Um, I'm very curious to, to see kind of how it, it plays out. Yeah. Um, is it's just, it's one of those things. I mean, I just, oh, I don't know. And it's scary. It's scary with, with, uh, you know, this idea of, of people, um, cities and, and moving back to, to small towns. Cause man, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm out in the country now and like, I'm, I'm already like seeing it happen, you know, people moving out of Atlanta and, and, and coming down and I have no problem with, except that, you know, you bring all those other values and, and, and things that made you want to leave Atlanta with you. And, and it's like, man, come on. Well, yeah. Well, but, you know, I, I think to some degree that's going to be, that's going to start out. That's going to be kind of, that's going to be there, but like the, the realities of living in a small town or rural just make it so you can't keep a lot of those values anymore because you're not, you're not anonymous. That That's, I think one of the biggest problems with the city is that you're just one in a million. Whereas in a town, like if you do something that is, that's harmful to other people in a small town, everybody knows. Um, and, and they deal with it. They figure out, they, they deal with it one way or the other. And, um, so I think that a lot of the values that come, like, I mean, just even like things like, oh, we'll just, we'll, we'll just raise taxes or we'll just tax those rich guys or whatever. It's like, well, yeah, in a city, there's, you know, a hundred thousand rich guys and, and, you know, 900 mil, 900,000, you know, if it's a small city, a million people, um, you know, there's, there's just the percentages are so different and it, and it just becomes like, it just becomes amorphous blobs. Whereas in, in a town, if one guy is successful, A, it's in his interest to, to do things that help out the community because he benefits from that too. But also, um, if you are violent and trying to steal stuff from some guy who's in the town, who provides many people in the town a job directly, uh, and does things for the town directly, it's very clear who you're hurting at that point. And when, when and, and I think that's kind of one of the problems that we have in in modern society is that because things have gotten so big, because all of all this sort of political structure has been filed 
or uh, filtered up to or funneled, funneled, funneled sword has been funneled up to the federal level. It's just everything's become a demographic blob. It's like, you know, when Bernie Sanders gets up on stage and is like, we're going to tax the millionaires, scratch that. We're going to tax the billionaires and the trillionaires because he's a millionaire now. So you don't want to tax them. Um, <laughs> when he says that that's what we're going to do, it doesn't mean anything. But if you're like, we're going to take away 50% of Joe down the street who picked you up when you fell off your bike and skinned up your chin and um, built that park down the street that you played in as a kid and funded that hospital. And when you were down on your luck and and you needed somebody to cover your uh, grocery bill that month. He was there and helped you out. He's part of your church. He's part of your local lions club. Um, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's a lot more difficult to say, we're going to take away 50% of what he has than when it comes to sort of this amorphous blob of the millionaires and billionaires, because the millionaires and billionaires, it's just, you don't know what they're doing. They, they are, they're this like other or whatever to you. But in reality, first of all, being a millionaire, there's a big difference between having a million dollars and having $500 million. Yeah, yeah. There's, it's a, there's a big difference. So a millionaire, like, what does that even mean? But secondly, like, like I worked for millionaires uh, when I actually, I probably work for millionaires now. I don't, I'm not really sure. I don't know who owns our company now, but, uh, but like when I, when I lived in Virginia beach, I worked in a, in a small company and um, they were millionaires, uh, but they were, they were part of the community. Like if, if you were like, I'm going to take away 50% of what they have, you, you're you're taking money away from the food bank. You're taking money away from basically every Jewish charity in town uh, because they were Jewish um, and they gave lots of money to the charities. They were doing well. And anytime they did well, everybody did well. Right. And, um, and because they were very involved in the town, but as a class of people, they're just in a category with a whole bunch of other people. So you don't know what you're taking away when you, when you say we're going to tax them at 50% or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. But in a small town, in a small town, in a small community, it, it's much more difficult to to do that and say, you know, we're taking away all this money from somebody when you're like, yeah, but he, that guy is a he's successful. He provides a whole bunch of people. You know, there's a reason why people are successful. Um, and and sometimes it's nefarious, but most of the time it's, you know, it's because they they worked, not necessarily worked hard, but worked intelligently and provided something that was a value to somebody. Um but they also are part of a larger structure. And when you're pulling bricks out of a larger structure and you don't know where those bricks, what those bricks are supporting and that sort of stuff, you end up getting these collapses. And I think that's going to be beneficial as well. I mean, you're always going to end up with some people who are better off than other people, but I think in a small community, it just works out better. Yeah, no, that's a good, good point. So, um, and it is, it's, it's, uh, it's tough because it's one of those things when you think about like, like a town, right? Like, um, and, and taxes and, and property taxes to some degree there. But like, when you look at the, the tax structure, right? How could, like, how do you, how do you insulate from state taxes from federal tax? Right. How do you, you know, like so in Texas, we don't, we don't have it. Yeah. We don't have any income tax here. We do, we do have, we do have pretty substantial property tax though. Um, the way that CELO does it is they run a camp uh, that is profitable. Um, and the camp, they use the proceeds from the camp to basically pay the property tax for the corporation. Um, if they have a shortfall, they take donations from the community to try to even that out. Uh, and you can go look up their tax records. They're usually profitable. Um, there's been a couple of years. If you go, if you go back and look at their records and stuff like that, where they're not, uh, and they make up the shortfall somehow. Good. Day. But since they're a corporation, they can also write off, uh, 
they can also write off losses differently than regular people could write off losses. So that's helpful. Uh, our plan, our working plan right now is uh, buying enough property that people can come and uh, rent out hunting lodges uh, or fishing lodges. And uh, so Texas has the, the largest population of exotics in the country. Uh, people come down here all the time to go hunt exotics. And uh, and it, it's it's very lucrative, especially if you make it like a nice, luxurious hunting cabin, hunting lodge and that sort of stuff. Um, you can you can get and then there's things like uh, uh, hogs. You here in order for the population of hogs to stay stable and not grow in Texas, you'd have to kill seventy million a year. <laughs> um, and they don't they kill about thirty. So the pot, the hog population is just skyrocketing all the time. They're very destructive animals, but people come down here to hunt them. They're huge. They're re- and and they and they have decent meat. Like it's it's wild hog meat, which is different than you know your ham at the store. Or whatever. But it's um, but it is good meat that you can eat it. So people do come down here. They also just fly helicopters through and just mow them down with automatic weapons. But uh, and then leave them. But um, but they but people will pay for that. There's also so like um, huge population of axis deer here. People like uh, hunting those gazelle. Um, also the largest population of lions outside of Africa is here. Uh, Tigers, same thing. <laughs> like there's all sorts of weird. So, and, and, and now most of those are not just wild on property, but there are a lot of exotics here that are just wild on property. Um, you know, uh, um, Ibex there, uh, I don't, I, I don't know if they're actually Ibex or if there's something else, but they're, you know, there's the sheep with the gigantic horns, um, mountain goats basically. And people love to hunt those. So that's kind of like one of the tax mitigation strategies that is kind of forming in my head is that you run a profitable business that involves renting out cabins and hunting tags and things like that to people for the property. And, um, and then they come to your town, they spend money in the town, they go to the restaurants and all that sort of stuff. And, um, and that helps kind of offset the property. So there's also in Texas, if a lot of the land is not developed, that land is taxed as wildland. And I think this is true in a lot of States. Um, so the, the tax is actually only applied to the land that people are uh, living on. Um, so you could have, you know, there's a guy out there. I go plant grapes down in, uh, down near Marfa every year. And, uh, there's a guy I know down there who has a vineyard and, um, the, his neighbor owns 50 square miles of, uh, just. That'd be land. awesome, right? Yeah. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be super cool. But his neighbor, but he only pays taxes on about a hundred acres because the rest of it, he's not doing anything with it. It's just nature basically. Um, so it, it or I, he is paying some taxes, but it's very, very low. It's like, a, it's at like the rate of farmland or something like that, which is also uh, federally exempt from certain taxes and stuff like that. So like you get a lot of benefits to structuring it correctly. This is, I mean, we're gonna have to talk to a lawyer and stuff like that about a lot of this stuff and probably have somebody under, you know, retainer, but ultimately I think that's going to be sort of, the way it works. And I could be wrong on some of the stuff. This is just kind of how like I'm seeing it right now as sort of the layman trying to learn how to make this happen. Um, but I've got six years to make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, I, we're going to be there. We'll, we'll, we'll do it. And um, you're welcome to come and visit. Yeah. I will have to, I'll have to take you up on that. So bring bring um, the family up. Yeah. Maybe I'll leave some of them there with you. <laughs> All right. So, um, Oh man, there was something I was gonna kinda oh yeah. So and, and I think um I only listened to the last 
couple episodes. Um, have you been getting into this idea throughout the the whole thing of, of the new pod? Or so so we started doing on one of the Discord groups that uh, I'm in. There was just a lot of people who were kind of interested in this, and uh, so what we decided to do is start doing an open three hour roundtable. So people who want to join uh, can can just join in and just give their two cents. It's mostly been Agora Brewing and myself. Um, the last two episodes, we had some other people on the first episode. Uh, the California in Exile podcast was supposed to be me going over California news on a, on like a semi-weekly basis. But it there's so much news from California and it's all just so bleak. I just didn't, like I stopped wanting to do mm. it. And, and I'll also like I, this last couple of weeks I've been swamped. So um, I just haven't had a chance to do a lot of record. I, I haven't even released my primary podcast in like three weeks. And I have episodes recorded. I just haven't edited them and put them up yet. But um, so once I get back kind of into a good flow, uh, the California in Exile, the goal was to do 20-minute segments just covering something that's going on in California. And it was kind of designed to highlight why people are leaving. So like I, I my wife, uh, she's just kind of, she, she's from Ukraine, but I'm from California and I talk about California all the time. Like, and it's, it's because it's in the news all the time and like something will come up and it'll be like, Gavin Newsom makes everybody stand on their head. And I'm like, this is exactly why they're all leaving from there and coming here. This is, this is why we don't live there. And the thing is, I love California. It's beautiful. The weather, the weather is great in almost the entire state. Um, there's, there's few places on earth where you can go skiing in the morning and surfing in the evening. Uh, like like it's there, everything is that is, is just spaced out that way. It's just, it's a really great place. And I love it. And I, and the reason I call it the California next, I feel like I was kicked out. Um, you know, my sis, a lot of my sisters moved, but I have four sisters, three of them moved back to California, but it's not easy. It's, it's, it's a struggle to live there. It's you're taxed to death. Property is like my sister's house up in well, I'm not, I won't, I won't dox her. It's, it's in, we're, we're from Northern California. So a different part of California than what people normally think about. But even in that part of California, just up in the, up in the mountains there, she's got kind of a cool property. She's got, I think it's, I think she's got like four or five acres, but um, just that property for the exact same type of property with probably more land use out here is about a quarter of the cost as there. And it's not a great area. It's, an, it's, it's nice. I mean, it's very pretty. I like it a lot, but it's not like, it's not upscale or anything like that, but it's, it's just, everything's it expensive. It shouldn't demand that price. Yeah. No, it that's, shouldn't. And that's, that's um, like, I grew up in, you know, New York and, and it, like upstate New York is totally different than, than downstate. You know, I was a couple hours and an hour and a half out of, outside of the Adirondack mountains, which is, it's like the biggest, uh, park this side of the Mississippi. Um, and it is, it's just like, I feel like, like I can't do what I want to do up there. You know, if I, if I live there, um, I could make ends meet, we would be okay, but you, your quality of living yeah, would just, yeah. Dramatically lower. And it's like, yeah. you know, I would love to go back and, and, and live up there. It's, it's what I know it's, that's home, but like, I can't I've been, you know, yeah, and that's out, but... it's exactly how I felt about Northern California, and it's and they keep what's what's funny about my sisters is uh, they keep getting chased further and further into the mountains. So like at this point, they're almost in Nevada because it's just like it's something happens; they have to move further up the hill. Mm -hmm. And um, so like we grew up in a town called Eldorado Hills, which is like right at the start of the foothills up into the Sierra Nevadas, and 
then my oldest sister moved back. She moved up one town because Eldorado Hills became just insanely expensive. My grandma's, the, the house that we grew up in is like a million dollars now or something crazy. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know the exact price, but it's just, it's like, it's yeah. ludicrous how expensive it is. And, and it's not, it's not a huge house. It's not a new house. If they bought the house, they'd probably bulldoze it and put a new house up. Um, but it's, uh, but that, you know, my, my older sister, she had to move up to one town. Then that town became unaffordable. She had to move up to another town. That town became unaffordable. Now she's up, up even further up in the mountain. Now she's in the mountains. She's not in the hills anymore. We're, we're hill people. We grew up in the hills and uh, now she's up in the mountains where, where we don't belong. <laughs> we belong <laughs> in the hills. So, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's too expensive down there anymore. And um, you know, I, I, it's, it's, it's sad. Like, you know, it's a, we had a multi-generational house and, uh, it's, I don't think when my grandma passes away, I don't think that, uh, we're going to be able to keep the house. It's just the taxes. She's, she's still there because they get special tax uh, breaks for seniors. But, um, once, once one of us has the house, the taxes will be so outrageous. I don't think it's possible to keep it. And, um, yeah. Sad yeah. to see that stuff happen. You yeah, know? And they're, and they're um, actually, and fortunately it was defeated. Uh, I covered this on one of the episodes, but there is, um, I think it's prop 13, prop 13 freezes property taxes in California. And they tried to repeal a part of it this year. So like on top of having the highest income tax rate in the country, they were going to repeal the property tax, which is among the lowest currently. They actually have one of the lowest property because it was frozen at, um, I think 1% of purchase value uh, adjusted by 2% every certain number of years or something like that. Um, I, I don't remember exactly the formula, but it was basically made it so that your taxes were extremely low, your property taxes. And they were trying to get rid of the commercial portion of that. So commercial taxes are also frozen that way. Um, it was defeated, which was good. But what's funny is when you dig into that law, um, the way that they the way that they phrased commercial property or the way that they categorized commercial property was like basically all the farms. So like these people who own thousands of acres of farmland, just their taxes would just go through the roof. And, and there's been a big fight in the, in the more rural parts of California, particularly central Valley between the ever expanding Bay area. This is, I mean, this is the big concern from where I'm from is, is the Bay area is three or four hours away from where I grew up. And it's just, it, it's expanding. It is encroaching further and further in and it's appetite, the appetite of the, um, like the resource appetite of a growing metropolis is in, especially in a place that it has, uh, you know, water issues already. Um, it's, it's things like water, food, all, all sorts of re- electricity. Like they'll, they'd rather keep the electricity on in San Francisco than the electricity on in, right. uh, you know, some small town. Yeah. Some small town. And, and then on top of that, make it illegal to build new nuclear power plants, make it illegal to build new oil power plants, make it illegal for coal, like all of these things, which <laughs> I, I, to some degree agree with, like, I, I, at least I think there should be liabilities for the pollution. Um, but just going, we're making all these things illegal, but we have nothing to replace it. And the cleanest thing that we could replace it, we also made that illegal. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> It's a it's a it's a beautiful circle. It's a beautiful thing they have going on there. And it's not just it's not just California, unfortunately. It's like it I think it's yeah, it's, it's there's a sickness in our society and I think it's um you know, I think the fever is uh, going to break and people will I think, you know, my dad always when I was a kid, he used, you know, he he used to say, I can't imagine the pendulum in California swinging any further left. 
And yeah. boy, boy, was he surprised. <laughs> but uh, I, I think there is at some point, like it is a pendulum to some degree. And you know what they say is like, um, you know, easy times breeds soft men is what, you know, one of those things. And you know what, California has had it good and it, it's had it good in a lot of ways. Like the weather there is almost perfect. Uh, like it's, it's just so easy to live there. It's been extremely wealthy. It's been the number one economy in the United States for 50 years or something crazy like that. Um, it's just been so easy and so good there for so long that it's just made a, a state of extremely soft people, but with all of the mounting problems that just keep building up the homelessness, the power issues, the resource issues, the water issues, it's just one thing on top of another. And eventually when the easy money breaks, I think that that's when uh, California is probably going to break and it'll, it'll swing back and it'll go back to kind of a rural state where like it should be. I mean, this is the, it's the most productive farmland in the country and it's, they're covering it with concrete to put up skyscrapers to, you know, make puppinsuds.com or whatever that <laughs> is valued at three trillion dollars, even though they've never turned a profit. <laughs> like all these kind of crazy things. I mean, it's 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 insane looking at it. It's and you look at it and you go, there's just no way this can continue to work forever. At some point, it's going to have to revert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I yeah, and it, and that's one of those <laughs> things. It's just because it's like. Um, you know, like you do, you have the pendulum swing, but I think at the, t- at the same time as the pendulum swinging, like it's, it's, it's knocking people out of the way. The people that have been, been dragging the pendulum, it's knocking them out of the way and they're all scattering everywhere else. And that's, that's like when I, when I say like people moving out of the city, that's like, I really want it to swing back, but I, I, I'm not sure that it will. Right. It's almost like it's going to, instead of swinging back, it's going to go all the way around full circle until yeah. it comes back, you know? And that's, well, that's what like, be, I'm like, ah, oh, man. But yeah, uh, I'm, I mean, I'm very, <laughs> I'm very encouraged by history. I mean, the, you know, the Soviet Union broke up peacefully. Um, and, uh, you know, the Czech Republic, uh, and Slovakia, they, they broke up peacefully. Um, the kingdom of Denmark broke, or actually, I guess it was the kingdom of Sweden broke into Norway and Sweden peacefully. Like things, things do change and they do change for the better. It's not always violent. Um, it's easy to focus on the violent and the destruction, all that sort of stuff. But I mean, for all of the people that were in the Soviet union, once that broke up, life was demonstrably better, uh, for 99% of the people there. I mean, like it, it, it was, it was a huge change. You know, if, if, you know, uh, North Korea's regime collapsed or whatever, yeah, there's probably going to be some chaos, but for all of those people who are currently basically slaves, it's going to be better in the United States. I mean, we've had it good for a really long time, uh, but it's, you know, and I, I don't like to knock, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Americana. I love this. I love the country as far as the people go and all that kind of stuff. Like it's a great place, but we've really been living at the expense of everybody else since world war II. Um, and we've had really good lives and we've had time to build up a lot of capital. So I think the landing for us will be very soft, no matter what happens. Um, there's just too much capital investment in the country for it to be terrible. It'll be a struggle, but, um, it's not, it's not going to be like, you know, you're not going to be living in like Ghana or something like that. It's not, it's not, <laughs> it, it, it's not going to change that drastically. We're not, not going to get Somalia. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not going to be that, but which actually, even after the, that's a good, another good example, after the, clap, the collapse of the government <laughs> of Somalia, it was better for most people, <laughs> even though I always talk about it being chaotic or whatever, like death rates are down, life expectancy is up. People have more access to water and technology and food and all that sort of stuff. You know, it, it's not great. I wouldn't want to live there, but it's better. So right. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, no. So I'm very optimistic. I, it's uh, yeah, you you are a very very positive person, and I I appreciate that. So, um, so yeah, tell us uh, tell us where to go to to, to find your show or uh, give it give it a listen if people are, are curious about these these ideas. I'm I'm sure it's uh, in lots of people's domes right now. Yeah. Uh, so California Nexile, you can just do a quick Google search for that. It's uh it's on a lot of the podcatchers. I think it's on Apple and Stitcher and. Uh, several others it's on anchor. That's where I publish it. Um, you can also follow uh, California exile. I don't post a huge amount on it, uh, but there's a California exile on Twitter. I usually post the episodes when they come out there. Uh, once in a while, I'll retweet stuff from California, just news and things like that. Um, there's a lot of people in the Liberty movement who are also California in exile. So I'm going to try to be doing a little bit more like interviews and stuff like that for people that are involved in the Liberty movement that left um, or, or people who are still there and just why they're still there. Um, and there's a lot, and I'll admit there's a lot of good reasons to still be in California. So, um, you know, it, it's just a value assessment, I guess, of, you know, Misesi and subjective theory of value. So, uh, but yeah, so uh, on Twitter, uh, you can also follow me at Tasting Anarchy or at Childerberg on Twitter. You can go to Childerberg.com or TastingAnarchy.com and catch um, Childerberg just for Childerberg information if you're interested in coming out to Childerberg this year and uh, tasting anarchy is my other podcast. It's uh, we do talk a lot about California on it because it's a wine centered podcast, uh, but it is just generally uh, wine and um, how the government, what our, our slogan is how much government is in your drink. And it's a lot. And uh, we'll tell you how that happened and uh, you know, what's going on in, in wine and alcohol. Good deal. Good deal. I, I appreciate your time. Um, thank you for, for talking. Um, kind of wandered there but I, I, it was very um, I don't know, fruitful for myself at least so appreciate that <laughs> I hope people enjoy it I enjoy talking yeah hey, all good stuff <laughs>guys there it is episode number 111 in the books i hope you guys enjoyed that um i enjoyed it i think there's a lot there to unpack a lot of things to think about and for some of us um you know we can't move we're not moving um and it's a little further out there for some of us uh, it is a possibility and either way you cut it there's a lot a lot of meat on that bone to talk about chew on and, and figure out and um i think it's something we all need to kind of look at and consider, you know, you, you want to build a healthy community and that starts with, with the foundation and, you know, lay that foundation, make, make shelves part of that, that foundation, get in there and, um, and build it, build it from the ground up and, uh, see where, see where it takes you. But that's all for now. And I appreciate you guys sticking around and giving it a listen. Come back next week. We'll have another show. Not sure what it will be on just yet, but it will be on something. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate your time. Get out there. Sow those seeds of liberty. We can all reap sheaves of freedom together.